and welcome back to ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what's going on in the mind of your child, and we encourage you that growth is possible. Now, each week, we offer the latest in autism research along with other information to help you make informed decisions about treatment options so you can create a better quality of life for your family. I'm your host, Kat Lee, and on today's show, we know as parents that something happens to our babies, but what goes wrong and when does it happen? In parts one through three of our podcast series, Dr. Steve Gutstein discussed the studies of the development of typical infants as compared to those who would be diagnosed with ASD. And we discussed that with typical infants, we see growth-seeking and we see parents growth-promoting. And in typical development, we also see a relationship that comes together, very nice, mutually supportive. Today, Dr. Gustine discusses what occurs in children who are eventually diagnosed with ASD and what effect that has on their parents. Dr. Gustine continues. So my primary hypothesis is that rather than seeking out mental and self-growth opportunities, the actions of ASD infants are dominated by that need to maintain stability. They avoid engaging in any situations that they perceive as disorganizing, um, and they seek out settings and activities that they experience as what we call stability maintaining. Okay, Remember growth seeking and the two drives of growth seeking and stability maintaining. Well, what what I believe happening it, it happens initially is not that something goes wrong or gets worse, but that growth seeking just does not get activated. So what happens is that what you see is a child that continues to be dominated by maintaining the stability of their internal and external world due to their vulnerabilities. And we're talking about many possible combinations of vulnerabilities. ASD infants fail to develop what we call the foundations or prerequisites to activate that growth seeking. Experience sharing foundations, again, when you, what you see at six months, may not be developing. The capacity for internal organization, there's a new model out that says that they don't develop sufficient invariance detection. They're not able to manage um, variations as a part of something they've already seen, you know, different but same is the the way I like to talk about it. And they don't develop what we call the categorical breadth, the more conceptual categories that allow you to handle variations and still see, still label something as the same, right? So they're cognitively having difficulty then managing increasing complexity, diversity, variability, and congruity. And it wind up, rather than being sort of another piece of, of a category you already have, or a little extension of an existing category, for instance, it becomes a disorganizing or a disruptive element right? And you can't assimilate it. Or they might have not developed sufficient capacity for emotional mediation to handle growth seeking. And that includes being able to access the support of parents to help them, right? They might not develop a perception of themselves as active agents capable of self-regulating, co-regulating, goal attaining. And I think, again, the most important component is the inability to form strong emotional memories, positive emotional memories of 
parent guides providing them with a route to attaining greater experience sharing organization mediation agency to be able to promote their growth that in a safe way that even though those those experiences may happen i'm not saying they never happen they don't develop and they can't access those strong memories that integrate their own increased competence with their parent guiding with their parent support with their parent providing that for them and so they don't develop those what we call shared relationship memories and what's interesting is if we look downstream which we will at a later time and we look at some of the most powerful permanent impairments of people on the spectrum even the highest functioning people they have to do with emotionally based memories and being able to form and then later recollect and access critical significant moments in an integrated way that makes sense. So interestingly enough, we may see some of that right in the first year. So what's the impact of not grossing being dominated by stability maintaining? And what you'll see here is you'll see minimum primitive exploration. These are kids who are not motivated to develop their ability to explore their world because you might encounter something, right, that you don't want to encounter. So rather you're gonna have a preference for very repetitive behavior, but not for mastery, not picking hard things and working at them because you might fail or get frustrated, but sort of repetitive behavior that maintains stability is doing something over and over again. Certainly avoidance of novelty, right? The lack of desire for social observation, the lack of desire for social referencing, and the lack of desire for experience sharing. So you, you really see a different motivational issue. Now, why do I talk about motivation rather than skill as an impact? And this is really important, and you'll see this later. When we look at the research on um, ASD infants, and for instance, their experience sharing uh, is one example. Um, the research, if we talked about the fact that ASD is characterized by a lack of ability to conduct experience sharing, right, we should see then 100% of children who are diagnosed with ASD cannot do it, right? They just can't do it. But that's not the case. What we see is a dramatically lower incidence of experience sharing among the ASD infants and toddlers. That doesn't increase. We also see that it doesn't grow. It doesn't become more sophisticated. But we do see a large minority of these children occasionally engaging in it. So if you can do it once in a while, it means you can do it. It's just they don't do it. They don't have a desire to do it. And, and eventually, most of them do have the ability to do it. Again, the ability does not lead them to do it. The other thing is when we see kids with Down syndrome, or we even see blind, congenitally blind children, an even more powerful example, you say, well, how in the heck do they do experience sharing? Well, what we see is the vast majority of children born blind are very delayed, as you would think, in experience sharing, but they do start to do it, and they start to do it at the same frequency as typically developing children. So they become just, once they figure out how to do it without being able to see, they become just as motivated. Same thing with kids with Down syndrome. The only group that doesn't are the kids with autism. So we look at things like primitive and infrequent exploration. So here's some studies that have been done, you know, so all recent. And we see more restrictive primitive exploration, less frequent, explore fewer images, perseverated on the images, provided themselves with fewer opportunities to learn about their environment, demonstrating less looking at novel object, less object exploration. There's really nothing here to guide. If you're perseverating, if it's very primitive, you can't follow, you can't respond to that. You can't pick up on it and elaborate it. 
And secondly, of course, even when they're doing that, they're not providing you with the attentional space. They're not inviting you into it. Same thing, what we call non-functional repetitive behavior, as opposed to typically development. In typical development, infants and young children do a lot of repetitive behavior, but it's for mastery. And once they master something in a skill, they move on to something else. They don't stay with something. And what we see here is study after study where the ASD infants and toddlers and young children have a perseverative repetitive behavior that has nothing to do with mastery, say, uh, the quote from a very recent study. For infants with ASD, the persistence of invariant behavior may crowd out opportunities for adaptive, increasingly complex responses to novel demands. Now, only one study back in 2009, where when offered the choice, 30-month-old uh, ASD children, clearly all preferred engaging with familiar objects, while the Down syndrome kids and the typically developing kids all preferred the novel objects. It was just complete discrepancy there. Great study by Schick in 2011. And what amazed me is it's the only study of social observation. I'm not talking about imitation. I'm just talking about how much do these at-risk infants actually look around and watch their environment and pay attention to what's going on around them socially. And one study that showed the toddlers, um, when, when parents offered, actually offered, remember, we're not talking about uh, the infant doing anything to engage, which would be the normal thing. Here are parents proactively offering facial and vocal expressions in relationship to novel objects. The infants didn't, didn't even look, the ASD infants, compared to the typical ones. And the conclusion was they do not appear to be affected by feedback based on parents' facial expressions or voice tones, actually, or vocalizations, which is very abnormal. Um, and in fact, they would be the, should be the ones initiating it. And here's another study by Bedford, in their group, big group, another big group, where they were giving ASD toddlers and typically developing toddlers a task that was, was a bit difficult to do. And in both groups, parents were able to provide supportive feedback or guidance, right, to that infant. And the ASD, ASD toddlers just didn't attend to it. They didn't listen, they didn't pay attention to it. And the conclusion was very clear. They either ignored or didn't appreciate the feedback they received. Now we get to this, the thing that most of the research has done, which is called social passivity and non-responsiveness. So, you know, not being, not engaging with guides who would be trying to promote their growth. And this, the conclusions of research, so here's Rosga, a very big prospective study. By the end of their first year, typically developing infants are active participants in social interaction. ASD infants are not. That's the conclusion. Uh, Muratori in Italy, ASD infants made few attempts to maintain their social engagements. St. George, um, again, a large research group, social passivity was the strongest diagnostic marker, especially their, their failure to initiate social interaction. You can see that from the videos. Barbara and Desayanki, deficits in initiating interaction with the things that most clearly distinguished ASD infants from their typically developing peers, as well as Downs or developmentally disabled infants. Less liveliness, fewer invitations to engage, less effort to maintain engagement were less lively. In contrast to TD infants, this is back to the Italian group, that concluded that the critical difference between ASD and TD infants was in the form of lack of initiation. Now we get to experience sharing, and that's been a huge area of study. For some reason, all the study then gets done there. And it's an important area. And just over and over again, the replications are unbelievable, starting in 2006. You know, Significantly less experience sharing at 12 months, at 14 months, again at 12 months, an impoverished repertoire. Um, 
Here's one that looked at a community study, a large sample at 18 months. None of the language and developmentally disabled infants had deficits in showing objects compared to all the infants in the ASD group that they had. Now, what's interesting is they caught up at 12 months. The language and developmentally disabled infants did have deficits in showing or in, in earlier versions of experience sharing. By 18 months, they had caught up with the typically developing kids. ASD kids had flattened out half the number of experience sharing gestures at 13 months. Difficulty is the best indicator of emerging age. This is a review article by Tony Sharman. And then the other issue is not just so much do they do it or not, but over the course of the second year, you see a dramatic increase in both the frequency and the sophistication, the functions and the means of how typically developing children engage in experience sharing. You start to see pointing, you start to see showing. And what we find here is that there's no growth at all. Uh, no improvement over second, third, and fourth years. No improvement between nine and 24 months. Meanwhile, developmentally and language-delayed children, this is Makari, catch up in the second year. Deficits in showing and initiating children tend to persist and become some of the defining features of ASD. Watson, both an extremely limited repertoire and no improvement in frequency. And Winder, just a recent study, at 18 months, their entire ASD sample, the kids that went on to have ASD, at 18 months, produced only two spontaneous experience sharing gestures over a five-minute observation. That's, that's a total for their entire sample. Thank you so much, Dr. Gutstein. And thank you for joining us for ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And join us in the continued journey as we encourage you that growth is possible. I'm your host, Kat Lee. See you next time.